Does your business pass the bus test? If you or someone on your team was hit by a bus, what would happen to your business? And in most cases, what I hear is like, um, it's stopped, it's gone. It's like, it's disintegrated in a week. Welcome to the business of freelancing, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier and healthier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brendan Dunn, and today I have a great, great episode, actually, an interview, rather, where I sat down with Mandy Ellison, and we talked all about scaling. And I know a big thing for a lot of freelancers, particularly, is how do I go about thinking about scaling? How do I think about growing the business and maybe going beyond yourself and having the right processes and everything else in place? And I mean, those of you who have listened for a while know I geek out on this stuff, and I love when I get to sit down with other people who geek out on that too. So, but before we get into that, I want to just kind of give you guys a quick update on some of the stuff that I've been working on. So, as you heard in the last episode, I've had a crazy end of the year just with not having a voice, which isn't really great if you're podcasting for a while. So, I'm trying to catch up on lost time. Um, Craig, who helps me with the podcast, and I are going to be I'm trying to knock out a bunch more episodes over the next few weeks. I was actually just in, I just got back from LA. I had planned on creating more episodes or intros and outros while there. I even brought my mic and then I realized that my uh, all my interviews were sitting on my home, my iMac at in my home office. So I'm back in Virginia. I had a great time out in Los Angeles. I, I was actually with Ben Lee, who longtime student of mine. He took my consultancy masterclass years ago. We've, I've been kind of coaching his agency individually uh, for the last few years. And now they're at the point where they've gone all in on, on this idea of road mapping, which again is kind of like paid discovery, paid estimation work. And they've done uh, well over a million last year, a million dollars last year alone in road mapping. They've done hundreds of these. They've really got it down to a science. So I was, <laughs> I was basically saying, hey, this is something that a lot of people, a lot of students of mine specifically you know, they have questions about how do I host it? How do I price it? How do I sell it? And uh, so I went out there. We spent a week just filming. We, I mean, the good thing about Los Angeles is apparently there's a lot of freelance videographers there. We we filmed something incredibly good that I hope will be out within a month probably or so. Yeah, I'll, I'll be telling you guys more about that uh, in the in the next few episodes. But yeah, so back to our, our, our main interview. Here's Mandy. Again, we're talking about scaling your business and things you should be considering before going down that route. Hey, I want to introduce you guys to Mandy Ellison. Mandy is a scale, service scalability strategist, and um, we're going to be talking about scaling. So Mandy, welcome to the business of freelancing. Thank you so much for having me. So your quick backstory, what uh, what got you into becoming a an expert when it comes to scaling services companies? Well, what got me to be an expert, what led me here is that um, I tried to do this to my own web design business and um, kind of failed at it. And it was kind of a mess and really stressful. And I got so frustrated about it that I said, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a solution. And what it looked like is that um, I was pregnant with my second baby. And I had, you know, obviously seen the writing on the wall as my, my belly was getting bigger and bigger that like I needed this business to run more without me. So I was I was looking at ways to do that, and you know I had I had a couple staff and who I who I'd been working with for a while and been and things were working out well. And right towards the end there, when I was trying to wrap up projects to give myself some time, um, I realized that 
it, it was it was just really stressful because I they because I had clients that were taking forever to get back to me on this work. And then I had uh, a developer that just like just dropped off the face of the earth raw at the wrong time. I'd been working with him for a while and I, and I just didn't know what was wrong. And here I was, you know, days away from my baby being born and I happened to, to, I had to deal with all this coding myself and I had to, to deal with all the stress of it. What should have been like one of the most happy moments of my life, it turned out to be one of the most stressful. And then um, I had the baby and I just was so burnt out and my business just totally stopped. It stopped. It didn't run without me. It did. It wasn't this this asset that could be bringing in money while um, I more passively managed it. it. It didn't do any of those things that I wanted it to. And I knew that it could be done, but I just saw that there was this challenge here with service businesses. So what I did is I set out to solve that problem um, for myself. And then that's where I came to realize that this is really my passion and that's why I teach it to entrepreneurs. What did that look like? I mean, solving that, like what, what are, I mean, I know in scaling my own business, there were a lot of hurdles that I had to overcome that was, you know, that included things like, um, clients who had quote unquote bought me were now getting other people, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't all about me, Brennan. On top of that, there was project management concerns. There were, uh, recruitment concerns. Like how do you vet people? I mean, there, there were just a lot of things that I kind of, uh, <laughs> ventured into blindly, I guess. Um, but, but what did that look like for you? Like, how did you, so you had the baby and you wanted to, I assume you, you internalized, like, I never want to be in that position again. And uh, you <laughs> went about solving that. So, so what did that look like? How did you solve that? Um, well, well, how I solved it was that as I was, as I was doing a lot of research on, on some of the best, best methodologies out there, I was realizing that I wasn't the only one who had this problem and that there were a lot of other entrepreneurs who had this problem as well. And that interestingly enough, oddly enough, is that, that I had actually solved a similar problem like this in the, the previous business that I had managed. I, I was the manager of it. So it was irritating for me that I couldn't solve this problem in my own business. So, which is just kind of interesting. I, I, was, I was a property manager and, and um, I had made this business um, which is actually very time intensive business for most managers. I made it pretty much run without me so I could travel anywhere in the world um, while managing this property. And I helped them make a lot more money, we reduced costs, and we did all these really amazing things for this business, but I wasn't able to transfer that into my own business. So what I did as I, as I, as I looked at that, I realized that, that really my passion is helping entrepreneurs do this. All the information that I learned together with, you know, just my in the trenches knowledge of being a manager and systematizing a business and, and, and learning that skill set. Um, by that way, I realized that it was just something that I was just naturally good at to, you know, those things that you're naturally good at that you don't realize everyone else is naturally good at at them. Right, right. I started testing it with other entrepreneurs and I, and over the years I developed a process and a system, a five step system for how to make your business run profitably without you. And it's specific for service businesses. So I know from having talked to specifically a lot of freelancers who are at the point where they can either decide to scale or you kind of have, I guess, three options, right? Either scale, uh, turn away work or charge more to a degree that you are able to then, you know, effectively turn away lower quality work. But, you know, when I, when I was at that crossroads, I decided to scale and there were a lot of things, even before I could get to the point of being able to make it an auto, like have the business run on some degree of autopilot, 
there were other scalability concerns that I had to face. Like, how do I, how do I find people? How do I pitch working as a subcontractor or as an employee to me to them? How do I then in turn, when I'm selling uh, a client and they ask, well, are you going to be the one doing the work? You know, how do I respond? Like all these different things, I guess, were kind of prerequisites, I guess, before I was able to have processes put in place and everything. I guess what I'm mostly curious about is I don't think that I was ever very good at the self-sustaining bit. Like I, I became decent at hiring, decent at uh, sales and everything else. But when it came to, I mean, one of the reasons that I actually ended up exiting the agency was it was clashing in a very big way with the lifestyle that I wanted. And um, that, that actually what is primarily what led me out of the company. And looking back, I mean, I know I have friends who run agencies who, you know, they're not a dependency, a daily dependency for the business to succeed. And, you know, in retrospect, I, there were a lot of things I could have done differently to make it so the company could have hummed along nicely, even if I wasn't in the office nine to five every day. So you mentioned the five, this five-step system. I assume that's the, they're all focused primarily, I guess, on the sustainability autopilot bit, not about recruiting or anything like that, right? Well, I mean, that, that's part of it. Okay. That's, that's okay. certainly cool. a, a key to it. What are the five steps? Okay. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd love to share this five steps. I, but first, before I do that, I, I want to just kind of talk about the, these, this concept of the service business and really why the agency model just it, is really stuck with the owner being right in the center of it. And step, step three in my system addresses this, by the way. But the, um, the real problem is, is that we're selling time for money. That, that's, that's, that's the problem with you know, pitching the, the, a new client and then the client saying, well, who's going to do this for me? They're like, well, of course I want you to be doing it for me because I already know that you're, you're the most valuable person on your team and you're going to be doing the best job. Right. Or, so they I don't were, want or a past client who worked with you referred you and not, you know, Bob, the sub- subcontractor or something like that. Right. Right. So they already get that. You're like, you're hoping to get a margin between your like, you know, yeah, you're a middleman, right? Yeah. 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 You want to get a margin off that and, and give them to the lower guy and then hope that they do a, as good of a, a job, which typically they don't, they don't. And that's the reason why the quality of this quality issue. So instead of looking at it as um, selling time for money, look at it instead of selling value for money. And what, what this does, and I know Brennan, you, you've talked about this, talked about this a little bit in the past too, uh, with some of the, 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 um, the products you've offered is, is to get really clear on the, the problem you're solving for the person and make sure that you're doing this in a market where there's a need, where there's a demand. So you need to be able to, to refine your process to be serving um, an outcome. So you, you really need solving an outcome as opposed to just saying, I'm going to sell you my time. What that does is it actually gives your client a lot more confidence in you too because you're, instead of you're selling your time and them hoping for the best, you're selling them an outcome and they can be more confident on that. And that's, that's, that's an easier thing to sell. And then when you're providing an outcome and you have a system to get to that outcome, then it doesn't really matter who does it as long as they get the outcome. You know, I, I usually phrase it as it's the difference between selling a solution and selling availability, where availability doesn't actually guarantee a solution. Whereas, uh, you know, just because I buy, let's say, 50 hours of your time, there th- that doesn't imply anything, right? Like there's no implicit outcome in that. You know, if I go and buy a new computer, 
I don't care about the time that went into that. Like it's, it's whether it took an hour to build or hundred hours, it's, it's immaterial. I I want the benefits of the laptop, right? Exactly. And it it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many hours someone put into, into this sort of service or product. You just want your outcome and that's it. That's all you care about. Right. Right. So, so, and that's where the opportunity also comes in to be um, pricing based on value as opposed to pricing based on time. Unfortunately, a, a lot of people are are pricing poorly based on time. They're not even compensating for themselves for their time. I mean, on on that on that level there. But the, but to take it to the next level, you want to be charging based on the value that you can provide for a specific problem for a specific kind of person or a specific type of business. Really, more like it because um that's that's where that's that's where the real opportunity is. For you to stand out head and shoulders above the market. Right. Might if I jump in with a quick, uh, not, I don't want to play devil's advocate. Yeah, I, it's not devil's advocate, but but basically kind of like an interjection. It's probably something addressed in one of the five points. But one of the struggles that I had was, you know, we switched to selling the business value, you know, what, what solution we're delivering to the client. But there's often a disconnect between the sales process and the fulfillment where, you know, the... The, just because you hire, let's say, a web developer doesn't mean that they're actually consciously cognizant of what problem needs to be solved. So it's, it becomes very easy, I think, for a lot of people, especially people who are have drank the Kool-Aid of selling value, and then they hire subcontractors and they start to realize midway through that, you know, oh my God, I'm actually, uh, I'm running into these issues time and time again where we're selling you know, consultants and instead they're, you know, the, the people who are doing the work are not a part of that sales conversation. There's no, there, the onboarding, I guess, that translates the discussions from the sales end to the uh, production end or fulfillment end. You know, there's a miscommunication somewhere, you know, something is lost in translation. Like how, how do you address that? I mean, I think it's, it's easy for solo freelancer to say, I'm going to start selling on value because they're the people who are doing the sale, but also doing the work. But once you're involving other people, usually your lead developer is not part of, he's not a business development person, right? Right. Right. And see, this is, this is the problem. And this is, this is the top reason why people do not get, business owners are not getting good results out of their staff and their contractors that because they are hiring them for their skill set, um, and they're hiring for them for for their own system that they're bringing to the table, as opposed to giving them the system for them to follow that gets them the results that they want. That's why this this big huge problem is I, I can't get my staff to produce good results. That's why, and the, the disconnect there that's um, that's lack of integrity really in your business. If you're selling them something and you're not delivering it, then that then that is um, a real problem, and you're not able to to fulfill on your promise, then right there, um, not, not only is it, I'm going to say dishonest, but it's also, uh, you're also not, um, keeping this client long-term. So it's not good for business. It's not good for your clients. It's not good for anybody. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I struggled with constantly was knowing that when I'm selling a project, depending on who internally gets the project, who's going to be doing the work early on, I knew the outcome would be different. You know, yes, they, they're all going to be getting, let's say, a website, but the process, the experience that went into the development of that website with the intent of solving a specific problem 
will vary depending on who's doing it. And that's something that I had to, and I I, want to be honest, I never really perfected how to properly productize the business value delivery thing, I guess, internally, you know, how, I, I guess the two things I would ask are first off, how do you recruit people who are business savvy, who don't want to run their own business and would actually be open to working for you? And secondly, once they're in, how do you maintain that kind of universal consistency that, you know, no matter who is buying the product, they're all getting the, uh, not a uniform. I mean, none of us, I think, are really doing turnkey work, but a uniform, you know, something that's in line with what was sold, I guess, and and kind of ensuring that in, internally. Okay. Okay. Great question. Sorry to hit you with those uh, <laughs> heavy hitters, <laughs> no, but it's no. something, it's something, honestly, that I, you know, I've been excited for this interview because when I, when I saw that that's kind of what you specialize in. If there's one week, you know, I, I know how to sell, I know how to price, I know how to write proposals, all that stuff. Management and and management from a rah-rah, here's what we're all doing, troops sort of thing. I mean, I, that, that's something that I've always been weak at. Okay. Well, if it makes you feel better, it, it's not, this isn't really from a rah-rah type of thing at okay. all. Um, <laughs> I'm not really much of a rah-rah kind of person. But <laughs> um, but let me, I'll answer that question as I go through this, the steps, because I think that within the context, it'll just make more sense. The, the, there are five steps. The first one is, is to, um, well, I'll just tell you right now, I, I'm going to go over them a little bit faster just because we have a shorter interview here. And if you want to um, go into more depth and, and, and see the whole system, you can go to bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash scale dash service. Anyway, I'll tell you that again at the end. But first, step one is to recover time now. So you need to look at, you know, how can you leverage your time? And um, every entrepreneur I've ever worked with, I've been able to find them at least, or my, I shouldn't say I, this is my system, my system that I've developed has been able to find them 20 to 40 extra hours per month. And that's what buys you the time to be able to do the next steps. Because um, the reason why most people never get this, most business owners never get these steps done, even if they know they should do it, is they don't have the time to do it. Oh, you know what the number one reason that any any of my students don't end up uh, doing anything? It's because they're, you know, the the inevitable, well, I'm just, you know, I'm working nonstop on my client work. I don't have time to work on the business, which. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the problem with that is it just puts you in this, this vicious cycle of um, constantly going from um, prospecting. And uh, doing all your selling back to production mode, selling to production mode, selling to production mode, this endless cycle. And then you can never really grow your business. So then, um, yeah, so then you, you break that cycle by finding, by finding time. And then you take a look at, and, and instead of looking at how can I systematize my entire business, which if, if you read um, a lot of books out there, that's what they recommend. You just go in the closet, lock yourself in, and just like systematize your business. Just do it. And, you know, and just, just do it. By systematized, you mean like writing processes? Right, writing processes and systems, yeah. Standard operating procedures and that sort of thing, yeah. I I appreciate you making the distinction because I have no, I'm sure that that's a lack of context for some people here. So anyway, that's not the approach you want to take. You want to take the 80-20 approach where you can look at, well, what are the things that are going to make the biggest difference um, to my business right now? And those are the things that um, the 20% is going to make 80% of your difference, the difference in your business, and it buys you more time, buys you more money to continue on with the process. Then the next step, this is really important. This is the one that, uh, that, that, um, that I kind of referenced before. And then I'm going to talk to you about you, the recruiting thing here too, is, the, is to 80, 20 your service. So you need to look at your service instead of saying, um, we have the, the, the way most businesses do it, 
service businesses, it's 80% custom and 20% process. If, if they're lucky, they have 20% of process. And a lot of I, them are hundred percent custom. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, we're smart people hire us. And, and that's where you get into trouble, yeah. Brennan, when you're, when you're um, in that sales process oh, and you're saying, I know. Well, yeah. I've got, yeah, I, I've got this team who could do anything. Right. So then that's when you run into problems with your, you're with your margins and um, quoting something and then, and not being, and then not really sure if you're going to make enough money on it or not, because it, it could end up t- costing more um, in the back end. And it's, it, it, what is it, what creates um, inconsistent results because you don't know who's going to be on the project th- at that given time. Right. So, um, and the only way that you can make your service more process-based is by having it less custom. It is by um, solving a a, a specific solution for a specific type of client. Mm -hmm. And some kind of solutions can apply to a number of different kinds of clients, but some of them will only apply to a certain kind. So, so what's really important is that you need to make sure that you're um, looking at a, a market where it's viable, where they're, they're willing to pay a premium, that you're pr- producing enough value with your solution that it, that it really is intellectual property that is, that is valuable to the market, right? And it's Otherwise, directly, I mean, it's directly treating, you know, I mean, it's the difference of, let's say I need to replace my roof, right? Something I did last year. Mm-hmm. I didn't go and I didn't go and find a bunch of uh, people who are capable of uh, nailing asphalt shingles onto my roof. You know, I, I wanted a, a wholesale turnkey solution. Right. And I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I mean, all of us who are in the services industry who build custom websites, build custom apps, whatever, if the client could buy something something off the shelf that gave them the business value that they think hiring us will give them, every time they would go with something off the shelf. It's more reliable, it's immediate, it's 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 sure, right? I mean it's yeah. whenever you're buying talent times time, there's always a degree of Will will that multi, will that equation actually result with what I'm in what I'm looking for? Right. And right. I mean, I think the sign of a good salesperson is somebody who actually knows what they're looking for and sells that versus saying, I'll do this, this, and this, it'll cost this, it'll take this much time. And there's nothing implicit about will this actually deliver, you know, in in the in the fullest meaning of the word. Yeah, you're you're right on that. And that's really what uh, customers want. And the interesting thing is, is that a lot of service businesses are uh, owners are are really um, resistant to this because they think, oh well, you know, my my customers they they buy me because of me, and they um they want as much as my time as possible, and that's not true. What they want is the outcome that you can provide, the outcome that's like the the, the, the system that's inside of your head that produces results. That's what that's what they want. Now, if you can take that system and you and you can standardize that into your business in a way that um, delivers value. Then what you do is you can plug people into the different parts of your of your system. It, what it allows you to do is it breaks down the different steps. So instead of hiring an expensive generalist that you're you're talking about, how do you recruit these these people who are more business savvy? Um, in my system, I would I would argue that you don't. I would argue that you find people who are proficient, who um, you, and you you hire based on um, their attitude, and then you train them on their skills. And that doesn't mean that you train them from the ground up. <laughs> It doesn't mean you're training a brand new web designer. It means that you, uh, you that you hire someone that you can work with that can follow your processes and your systems. It sounds like the implication is that the the people you recruit would be more faceless, more behind the scenes than a lot of the alternatives. Um, it depends. 
it depends because some roles are going to be very client faced, like project managers, project managers for example. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And some people, some of them are going to be less faced. And see, that's where there's opportunities where you're looking at, well, you know, maybe this person is someone I'm outsourcing to, from the Philippines, but you could, you could integrate them as an employee into your company. I mean, they're a contract, but you can integrate them in the same way. Um, and, but you know, I need uh, the project manager who is going to be great with clients and who's, um, it's got also be great with our staff, um, you know, wh- whatever role they're doing. So, but, but you, you still need to look at the distinction between, are you hiring? There, there's two different kinds of people you can hire. So I, and I'm not saying that you never, you never hire like the more business savvy people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that look at, look at the margins and see what makes sense in your business. Um, because they're the two types of people is one, an employee or a, a contractor that you're bringing into the business who already has the system in place, you're hiring them for their system or they, or you're hiring them to plug into your business. The one that you're hiring to plug into your business, you should be paying less for. Right. Um, so they're more commoditized, and, right? They're more they're exactly. They're more commoditized. But the thing is, it's, it's a really great benefit for them because they're going to learn at your business, um, a better way of doing things. So, um, so anyway, the, and, and then the one that is, it, it brings in their own system. I mean, you better, you better document that you better make that as an asset in your business so that when they're gone, you still have that in your business. Right. I mean, this is especially, I think, true where there, there's two, there's two needs, I think, for delegating or t- two types of delegating. The first is you've already mastered how to do, I don't know, invoicing, and then you delegate out invoicing to somebody. You, you basically train them by teaching them what you know. And then there's the. Uh, I'm delegating out video production of, of a new show that I'm doing. I don't know anything about producing video. <laughs> right. So there's there's a level of uh, expertise that I'm also buying, I guess. Exactly. You're buying that level of expertise. And and um, that, that, that's exactly the distinction I'm making here. Because it obviously doesn't make sense for you to figure out how to do video, video editing and then to train someone on that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so... Um, that that's step two. It's it's what makes a service business scalable. Without that, then um, you'll always be stuck in the time for money battle, and then the business will be dependent on the business owner. So, um, this is what buys you freedom. It's really an integral step to it. Step four is to um, is the is the, is the off, offset the risk. And and the way I like to, to to explain this one is is you know does your business pass the bus test? If you or someone on your team um, was hit by a bus, you know, what would happen to your business? Um, <laughs> and in most cases, what I hear is like, um, it's stopped. It's gone. It's like it's disintegrated in a week. Trust me, so, as a developer who went through a lot of my life with all the passwords being in my head and all the like domain knowledge in my head, that bus question came up often from bosses of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. But that, that and that's completely true too. Uh, like you just mentioned, uh, when it comes to the the organization or the the management of a business. So right. go, go on. Sorry, I, I so, wanted to interject that <laughs> that anecdote because it's something okay. that I've heard many many times. <laughs> All right. Well, so Brennan, what would have happened if like if you just happened? To, I know this is not the case, but if you were as as developer um, in this business that that you were um, really difficult to deal with, you wouldn't follow instructions. And um, you just, you just, you just were hard to deal with. We're producing bad quality work, um, and the owner wanted to fire you. What would happen then? Well, I'd hope I'd get fired. I mean, honestly, like, well, I mean, considering that I've hired my share of very talented people who are very bad employees, from the perspective of uh, 
the boss having a good business, it's it's one of those things where any day of the week, I'd rather have somebody who is reliable and willing to learn versus a know-it-all with headphones on who refuses to communicate. I mean, all the issues I ever had with my agency boiled down to communication issues. Sure. If you were, if you were that staff, though, and, and, and um, you had all these passwords in your head and you're basically an irreplaceable employee even though you were, you were really challenging to work with and all those things like that, that owner of the business is totally held over a bell, barrel. Right. I've got job security. I've got yeah. that, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Good for the employee. Not so good for the business. Right. That's and why so- I, when I said, I hope I, I wasn't, <laughs> I, I, I'm not the, I hope from the perspective of the malicious employee, sure. I, mean, I, hope, I hope from the health of the company that that employee right. gives up the keys and then, then either uh, gets fixed or leave, probably leaves. Cause a lot of those, Things are uh, unfixable. Sir, so, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So the thing is, is that the way um, most businesses are run is that they have all these different people in their their organization who have all the keys to the castle for their own positions. So what ends up happening is if something happens to them or if they're just not performing very well, I mean, the the business owner has a really hard decision to make whether they flush them or not because um, of how damaging it will be for the business. So it's a huge risk. To um, to have any one person be irreplaceable like that in your business, so that's that's one of those risks to look at. And then um, step five is to uh, move from crew to captain. So uh, you you might you might have experienced this some in you were in some of the businesses you've owned. Did you ever feel like there were times where you were just you were the crew and you knew you should be the captain? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, it took me way too long to get out of billable work. I mean, it took me a very long time to get to the point where I was okay. It it wasn't a matter of being able to. It was a matter of being okay with stepping out of the production queue, I guess. Yeah. Um, So absolutely. And and I, I think because most of us, you know, I think most of us, it's not like we went to school to go get our MBA and we're like, thinking we're going to start a business and we're going to build up this, you know, Henry Ford like system. Instead, we one day get disgruntled at our employer and we go out and become a freelancer. And then, you know, at that point we're still, it's, it's us, right? It's, it's us in our time. And as we try to scale, most of us don't have, you know, there was no grand scheme to eventually get to this point. It, it's kind of like, you know, going in the dark, a lot of people just don't have any business background. I didn't have any business background and it was hard for me to, to kind of play full-time business owner. Yeah. And, and it, and it can be hard to let go of the reins when and doing it, um, doing the production work yourself because you feel like the quality isn't going to be good if you step outside of it. Yep. It's, it's a, it's a OCD type thing where you need to be involved and have your hands in everything and, Going to be on every client call, which I mean, it just becomes eventually what ends up happening. And this is actually what happened to me was you just burn out, you know, because you're trying to you're jumping your your context switching constantly and you end up creating another job. For, I mean, the, the issue that I had was I, I created a, a job for myself. You know, I created a full time job for myself with the added overhead of all the risk that comes with running a business. Um which for me at least, and I think for a lot of people ends up becoming unsustainable. And, and I, I think that this is why we don't see more freelancers transition into business owners because they don't want that stress. They don't want to bring on another job 
And, you know, I don't, I don't blame them because really there's, there's not a lot of really good information out there for how to actually make this transition. And it's a really painful transition. And when you're looking at, well, do I grow my family and do I be here for my children and watch them grow? Um, or do I grow my business? And when you're looking at, at that, a lot of times you're like, well, you know, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to spend the time um, and actually have a life. So I'm just going to keep my business exactly where it is because they don't realize that there's a whole other option where you can actually be working um, less and less hours and actually have your business be delivering value without you. Um, ways for you to be taking weeks or even months off from your business and have it be run as this, this asset that you could even someday sell. It's funny. I learned by starting a product company and a software company um, after exiting my agency how to do that. And now I'm actually starting a new agency. I have been over the last uh, six months or so. And it's totally exactly in line with what you've been saying, which is treating it like an asset, right? I mean, that's, I think, ultimately what it boils down to is, do you have an asset that is independently valuable without you in the picture. And it doesn't mean that you're an absentee landlord. It just means that it's capable of running without you. And going into that first business, I went in blind and I just learned as I went. It was kind of my MBA on the fly, right? Whereas this new agency that is after I gained the experience through through a product business, which a product business is by definition, you wake up and somebody you you don't know bought something of yours, right? And, And that... I mean, that, that's what that is, right? But it, it helped me, it helped condition me, you know, combining both the experience of having that first company, then what I learned with this, this second company, now with this third agency, this third company, or second agency, third company, you know, I'm learning now, I, I'm incorporating processes, procedures, and a structure that, yes, I'm, for the most part, I'm doing stuff now that is more than I want to be doing six months from now. But the good thing is I know how to make it so in six months, I'm not as involved. Whereas the earlier trajectory was, hey, I have 11 employees. I can't even imagine how bad this will be if I were to double the size and get to go to 22 employees. So that's why I think it's so invaluable, like the, the what you've been sharing in terms of kind of these, these five steps that really, I mean, some of them are mindset, some of them are tactical changes, but... Mm-hmm they need to happen. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love to hear that you're, you're starting out your business this, this way and you're, you know, you're investing your time now so that it's going to pay off later. And, um, what I want to really emphasize here with, 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 uh, people who are listening is that this transition doesn't have to be as hard as you think. And um, once you have a business that's at six figures, then like you've done a lot of the hard work, all of the, the manual work that you've done, and, and the hustling to get you this point, the best part is, is it's, it's now, this is smart. It, when you start working smart, then you work less and less hours and, it, and, it's, and it's relief. Because it, moving your business in this direction to a point where you can be working less and less. And the way you do that and the way you make this transition is you have to involve people into doing it. You, you can't just try to, to um, make this, this um, transition all on your own because you're going to, you're going to really end up being in a bad place. I just want people to understand that there's there's a faster, there's a better, there's a, there's a an easier way to do this. I can't just begin to say how much I appreciate what you've said because it's it's it is true, and this is one of those things where everyone wants to build that turnkey business. You know, we all want to get out of that rat race, but 
got to step out of the stream if you want to get out. I mean, you know, you need to actually like step number one, reclaim time. That needs to happen. Everyone wants to. It's it's like the um, ever read the uh, the kids book, the Little Red Hen, I think it's called. Right. Yep. Everyone wants to eat the bread, but no one wants to actually do the work. And I'm not saying that as a blanket statement of, of, about the work ethic of of anyone. Right. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that in order for you to properly scale, you need to have a mindset of scalability, and you need to put into place methods. It can't just be kind of wild west hiring. Or whatever. That that's what I did, and and I regret. It doesn't work, does it? The, the, the amount of stress and the amount of everything that that caused. Um, yeah, that was the one. That was the one lasting mistake that I think I've made in my career was um, scaling prematurely. And by prematurely, I don't mean before the business needed to scale. It needed to scale, but b- before I was ready as a business owner to scale my company. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I'm going to actually take your little red hen analogy and just see, see, I hope that I don't just totally wreck it. But um, (laughs) (laughs) you're right, you know, that the the little red, the little, to to be able to get the bread, you know, you actually have to be doing the work, right? Right. But, you know, what if um, you want the bread, but you're off over here, um, um, weeding, uh, planting your garden because you need to be able to have, um, the the seeds need to be able to grow to have the wheat to be able to make the bread. Right. So, um, what if, what if, what if you're at that place and you need to be right there? So like, how do you actually be making the bread? How do you, um, and, and, uh, growing the wheat at the same time. So what you need to be doing is you need to be directing, um, other people to be, to be helping you with this transition process so that you're not doing it all alone. It doesn't have to be all alone. And that's why, um, so many people don't get to the point where they're actually baking the bread. I hope I didn't ruin your <laughs> No, no, I, th- I think that was, that was perfectly executed, especially since there was no uh, pre-call. We weren't devising this this children's book scheme of, or anything. So, no. You're it far enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, Manny, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I, I really appreciate everything you've said. Definitely stay in touch. And, I, and where can people find out more? I know you had a bit.ly link. Is this, yeah. is this like an email course or something that you've put together? Um, no, what, what this is, is this is, um, if, if you, if you want to get more in depth and see the, the full, um, training for how to scale how, the five steps to scale up your business and make it run without you go to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash scale dash service. Okay. And we'll have this in the show notes too, on the website. Yeah. Too, and you know so. what, and if there's, and if there's anyone who has, has questions about, you know, is my business scalable? Um, you know, just, just hit me up. Just, you can, you can email me Mandy at Mandy Ellison.com. Do you mind if I spell that out? No, this, this will be a mouthful. <laughs> M-A-N-D-I, um, at M-A-N-D-I-E-L-L-E-F-S-O-N.com. So Mandy at Mandy Ellison.com. Perfect. Just, just, uh, email me. I'd love to, I'd love to hear, um, your comments about the, um, this, this interview. And if you have any other questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Awesome. Well, Mandy, first off, thank you for the the knowledge bombs you've dropped. And secondly, for making yourself so available. Um, yeah. Thanks again for coming on. <laughs> sure thing. Thanks, Brennan. So that was my interview with Mandy. Um, two, two quick things I want to mention. First off, and I, I wanted to actually mention this getting in the intro, but I didn't get to. I've got Double Your Freelancing Conference Europe on the horizon. It's going to be in Stockholm. I've mentioned that before, but uh, you can expect a lot of people have written me asking about when uh, more details will become available and everything else. I can tell you I've been struggling with 
that, which is the European, I guess, flat tax or something like that. Before I put anything up for sale, I want to make sure I know know how to do all that because the big thing for me is my my typical strategy with uh, conferences is to use it not as a profit generator. It's more of a break-even tool um, just because I know it's like the benefit of bringing a lot of my customers, a lot of my audience into, into one location where we can spend two days just soaking in awesome information about growing businesses and building better freelancing businesses and so on along with just being able to socialize is uh, is a lot of fun to me. So I don't really look at it as a as a formal product. Maybe I'm doing something wrong in doing that. But anyway, that influences that because it's 25% in, in Sweden. So I don't want to have, I don't want to, want to be taking a 25% loss if I do things wrong. The other thing I wanted to mention is if you haven't left a review yet, and you know, you're probably getting tired of me saying this, but I'm probably going to say it every episode. I would love for you to go into iTunes and leave a review. I just set up a service that actually emails me new reviews because apparently I was only looking in the uh, American iTunes store or that has American reviews. And what I didn't realize is if you're in Romania, which I just got a review from this morning, I wouldn't have seen it. So again, thank you all for leaving these reviews. It helps get the podcast in front of more people. And um, I've got so many things in the works, including a few huge big name people that you know of who are coming on the show this year that I can't wait to share with you. All right, we'll see you next time for another episode of The Business of Freelancing.